Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 good morning, good morning, and a great Wednesday morning to each and every one of you. Welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern. You can find us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We always ask that you please subscribe to the program. Today, we are live on Twitter. You can find us from now on at Facebook. Just search Chatterbox Sports. Thanks to all of you, our show growing by the thousands daily. If you'd prefer to join us in podcast form, wherever you go, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Bengals back at it today, downtown, laser focus, no doubt. On the Cleveland Browns, kickoff is this Sunday at Paycor, set for 1 o'clock. As you know, the Bengals have lost five in a row to their division rivals. In fact, the last time they beat the Browns was in December of 2019. That was a matchup of Andy Dalton v. Baker Mayfield. My, how times have changed. C.J. Uzama caught a touchdown pass in that game. Joe Mixon ran for 165 yards. The Bengals are an early six-point favorite. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, what a day yesterday. He was signed by the L.A. Rams after being let go in Carolina. The Rams have lost six in a row. Matthew Stafford is out. The backup got hurt last week. Mayfield, in fact, was sent the Rams' playbook before he even got on the plane yesterday because he might start tomorrow night against the L.A. Raiders. Jimmy Garoppolo might not be out for the year after all. His broken foot will not require surgery. He could return in seven to eight weeks. The Cowboys, meanwhile, brought in Odell Beckham Jr. for a visit and apparently are very concerned that that knee injury, the ACL that he had in last year's Super Bowl, might not be healed in time to help Dallas this season. They're thinking maybe mid-January. Owner Jerry Jones said yesterday that playing this season would be imperative to any deal for Odell Beckham Jr., Lots of baseball news. The Reds were part of the first ever draft lottery last night. And wouldn't you know it, despite having the fourth worst record in all the baseball, they fell all the way to the seventh pick in the draft. The last time they picked seventh, they picked Nick Lodolo out of... Where's Nick Lodolo from? TCU. TCU. Horn Frogs. Sonny Dykes, leader of men. Have to get that in. Uh, the Reds, by the way, have never had the number one pick in the draft. The spending spree is in high gear two days into the winter meetings. Told you on Sunday, the Phillies gave Trey Turner 11 years, $300 million. Then last night, they had starting pitcher Taiwan Walker. The National League champs have committed $372 million in cash the last two days. Cody Bellinger signs a one-year deal with the Cubbies, $17 million. Then the Cubs turn around and add pitcher Jamison Tyone, four-year deal, $68 million. He won 14 with the Yankees last season. Even the Cleveland Guardians are getting in on the mix. They never spend any money. And they reel in Josh Bell. Bell's a player now. Guy can hit. Two years, $33 million. The big fish out there in the pond was Aaron Judge 
Rumors last night, some of the best baseball writers out there saying he was headed to the Giants. But no, no, no. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reporting moments ago the judge will stay with the Yanks. Nine years, $360 million. Think about that. 40 mil a year for nine years. The Giants didn't get him, so they turned to Mitch Hanniger, three-year contract for better than $14 million a year. This guy has only played in 100 or more games once in the last three years. Last year had an ankle injury that kept him out of nearly three months of the season. We'll talk about that here momentarily and all the baseball happenings with Hall of Fame broadcaster, my dad, Marty Brenneman. And today is Miller time. No, 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 no. We're not talking about the champagne of beers. Is there anything better than an ice-cold Miller High Life? No, is the answer. If it's served correctly, and there are only two bars in this town that serve Miller High Life the right way. One is the Madeira Inn, one of the old haunts. Great spot. And the other actually has a Miller High Life special glass. Is that joint with uh, downtown, the Eagle? Oh, that's a good spot. Yeah, great spot. And they serve, neither one are sponsors. We'd welcome your sponsorship. But they, uh, they serve it upright. And it's got to be just, I mean, beyond ice cold to have a Miller High Life. But Miller High Life Day today, because we have both Wes Miller and Sean Miller, thanks to Brandon Seho and Paul Fritchner, Lining those guys up, they'll be joining the program shortly. Dozens and dozens of you already on the chat. Casey McAllister, Paul Fritzner, Brandon Seho. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Tom. How are you today? Doing great. How about you guys? Fantastic. Good. Doing well. Big day today. Huge day. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I, uh, you and I were talking about it right before we went on the air. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this show. I mean, I'm a college basketball guy, so naturally, but... Now, I understand our time with uh, Wes Miller is going to be a little shorter than we thought. That's okay. We appreciate him joining the show. Uh, We've got him for about 15, 20 minutes. We'll have Sean Miller for half an hour. Uh, Wes is at, I think, 11, right? 11. Sean at 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 11.30. 11.30. Okay. So that's part of the quote-unquote big interview as we have each and every Wednesday. Is my dad here yet? He is here. He's here. Okay. He's back in Cincinnati, Ohio. I mean, look at him there. You know, you you went to the Bengals game on Sunday. You're out on Instagram. You're out on all these things. You even had the the orange. Did you go buy that orange uh, zip-up that you had on for the game the other day just for the game? That would be an absolute negative. I had that in my closet, and it had not been worn probably since the last time I was downtown to see the Bengals play at home. And that, if correct me if I'm wrong now, you're talking, there's no way that that, I mean, you have a lot of stuff that's old and tired, but you also have a lot of new stuff that's not so tired. There's no way you have that pullover because, it, correct me if I'm wrong, the only other Bengals game, you've lived here 50 years almost, and the only other Bengals game you had been to prior to the game on Kansas City on Sunday was what, 1975? Did I read that right? November 17, 1975, it was the first Monday night game ever played in Cincinnati, and it was between the Bengals and the Buffalo Bills. O.J. Simpson ran for 197 yards on 17 carries. 
And my main man, Kenny Anderson, threw for 447 yards and a Bengals win. That's the last time. You know, when you when you stop and think about that, uh, that was a day and age for Kenny Anderson to have that kind of game. I mean, really, football wasn't played that way in the 1970s. You know, we see guys throw for no. 300 seemingly, you know, four or five of them every week, if not more than Very that. Very good point. I mean, that's yep. nearly 450 yards. Was your guy Trumpy still playing then? Or no? Oh, yeah. Trumpy, Trumpy caught all of one of those uh, 31 passes that Kenny <laughs> completed that day. I made a point of checking that. Um, I think it's a travesty he's not in the Hall of Fame. I don't I don't see how uh, – I read an article by uh, – which is a Dave uh, uh, Delamalure. It was a, a lineman uh, yes. with the Buffalo Bills. Joe Delamalure, I think it was. Joe yeah. Delamalure is in yep. the Hall of Fame. And he, he, in the article, he said, it baffles me. Every day I wake up and think about football, I, I, I can't help but thinking about the fact that Ken Anderson's not in the Hall of Fame. And he said, I don't understand that. And I don't either. I don't either. You look at his numbers and compare them with some of the other quarterbacks that are in that league and you wonder in the, in the Hall how in the world he's not in there. Yeah, well, I, I think it's going to happen uh, sooner or later. I, I hope think so. That, I think there are a lot of people out there that feel the same way that, uh, that you do. Um. You know, we had Paul Doherty on yesterday, Dad, and, you know, he has written for the better part of the last three or four years how he threw in the towel on his favorite team, the Pittsburgh Pirates, after they traded away a bunch of players years ago, young players yes. that could have been a part of a foundation, and how he now loves baseball, but he doesn't have any more expectations for his favorite team. And he makes the argument that, you know, if you're a Reds fan, you need to alter your expectations and just go enjoy the game. I don't know about you. Uh, God bless him for being able to do that. If I'm rooting for a team, man, I, I, I'm not going down there just satisfied to be there and watch a sport. I, I want my team to win, and, and I'm expecting them to try to compete to win. No, I, I don't disagree with what you say, Tom, but at the same time, uh, and I'll give you a good example. I, I've, I've become an Ohio State football fan over the years. Uh, I like the way they play. I, I've respected the people that they've had coaching there in the years in which I have paid attention to what they they have been able to accomplish. And, and as much as I like to see them win, and and as as painful as it was for many to watch Michigan beat their brains out, especially in the second half, I don't get the same feeling. Uh, unless I had a vested interest in the team. Do I want Ohio State to win in football? Yes. It, does it pain me to no end when they don't win? No, it doesn't, because I don't have a vested interest. Like going to Chapel Hill a week or so, two weeks ago, and watching them get beat by Georgia Tech, which was ridiculous, and it made me mad as hell. But um, I, I understand what he says. Oftentimes, I get more enjoyment out of watching a game where I have no rooting interest one yeah. way or the other. Uh, and I, I know what he says, but I think what he says, uh, if you're a if you're a Reds fan or you're a Pirates fan, which he once was, or wherever you might live, you can't help but start to pull for that team, and then it pains you more when they don't win. All these baseball signings, gosh, it yes. doesn't seem that long ago um, when the Reds. Uh, and the Angels in the same year, the, the Cardinals had a decision to make about Albert Pujols. They let him walk out the door. He goes to the Angels 10 years, you know, quarter of a billion dollars. Reds give 
Joey Votto, basically the same contract at $25 million a year. Dad, you got guys like Mitch Hanniger, who's a nice player. Yeah. But, but, but now, yeah. all of a sudden, you got a guy like him making $14, 15000000 million a year. Aaron Judge, it appears, is going for $40 million a year, nine years to the Yankees. Yep. It, it's just insane. I, I can't believe it. And, and when I say it's insane, you know, I, I always preface by saying, God bless anybody, make as much money as you can. I mean, you know, Correct. if you're out there and somebody wants your services and they're willing to pay for it, good for you. But, Dad, I got to tell you, you know, the hope uh, for a number of teams, half the teams, maybe more in the league in years past, um, you know, maybe you could say we still have hope. It seems like every day that goes by, hope is continuing to disappear for many, many mid to small market teams in this day and age. I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think this game is probably more screwed up than any of the major sports. And, and unfortunately, uh, not being a Rob Manfred fan, nor have I ever been a Rob Manfred fan, it blows my mind how he keeps his damn job um, and makes the money he makes because I really don't think, and it may be unfair to say that, you know, he's not doing his job because he can't figure out a way to right this ship to some extent. Um, and because maybe there is no way. I don't know. But all I know is the salaries continue to go up and up and up. Um, and, and, and the more it goes up, the more it hurts clubs like this one and, and so many others, Minnesotas and the Tampa Bays and uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. And you go on and on, Kansas City. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. Um, but I don't, all I see is a lot of talking from the commissioner and, and his minions um, and not a hell of a lot of work being done to try and figure out how to write this thing. I, I've often said the greatest commissioner in the history of professional sports was Pete Rozelle because he had the wisdom and the foresight back in the 60s to implement a financial plan that has worked wonders as far as the National Football League is concerned. Not a commissioner in baseball, not a commissioner in the NBA or the NHL or any of those sports ever came up with a plan uh, uh, that, that uh, Pete Rozelle did as far as revenue sharing is concerned. I've had people all the time uh, and, and sal talk about salary caps and why can't baseball uh, implement a salary cap? Uh, the best thing they've been able to do is the luxury tax. And I don't, you know what? That hadn't really worked because it doesn't deter the big money teams like the Yankees from giving uh, Aaron Judge nine years and $360 million and Hal Steinbrenner on, on, on the heels of that, uh, that salary uh, being paid out over the next nine years to Aaron Judge saying, we still have plenty of money more to put us back in a position where we can more adequately challenge Houston and win the American League pennant and probably the World Series. So I don't, I don't, uh, I, I just scratch my head in wonderment at uh, the, the predicament that baseball finds itself in and even more so in how in the world they're ever going to figure out a way to get out of it. Well, you know, Dad, and you know this better than anybody because you've been around forever, the sport. You know, when you mention those two words, and look, Scott Boris, I know you don't like the guy. He has been great to Not me. Uh, he's come on my podcast twice. We're going to have him again on the show once we get through all of this madness and free agency and so on and so forth. You know, look, 
He's a very smart guy. He's a very successful no guy. His clients love him. I mean, they love him. And why wouldn't you? But the second you bring up the two words, salary cap, to Scott Boris, and he's not alone, many, many others, right. players union, that kind of thing, uh, all the conversation ends. And in talking with Tracy Jones in a serious note for a change yesterday, you know, yeah. he made the point that, you know, Boris would say, and I've heard him say, that salaries are actually going down because what's happened is you have the mega, mega guys right up here. You, you have the minimum salary guys way down here. And these guys in the middle have basically been cut out. So when you factor all of that in, you, you probably do come up with, and it, it's been proven, that the salaries on average have come down a little bit the last couple of years. But look, we all know that's nothing more than eyewash. And I just right. wonder when the day is going to come, is it ever going to come? You've probably been asking the same question for 45 years. Is there ever going to come a day where there are enough of the rank and file in the union to say, look, boys, if we want this sport to survive outside of maybe seven or eight or nine cities in the country, we've got to give serious consideration to going to the owners to say, hey, look, maybe we'll think about salary cap as long as you guys are on board for revenue sharing. Uh I don't think you can discount the possibility that that's going to occur, but I think it's going to take a large number of players uh, at the big league level with a certain intellectual mentality to realize that this type of thing has to occur for the future of the game. Um, I don't know, quite honestly, that you have guys that want to get involved in it. Uh, I don't think you have guys like Bob Boone around anymore, who was a part of the executive committee back when uh, major inroads were being made shortly after the player union was formed. Um, it, but it's going to take exactly what you said, uh, active players that can look down the road and see that the, the road's end will be one of disaster and, ha and, and have to get people to sit down and realize that there were going to be major concessions made in order to uh, bring about a, a rosy future for the game of baseball. You know, you hear people talk about nobody ever puts names to it. But I've read a number of times over the last year where there have been people who, whether they are in the know, apparently they are, who have said that uh, the fan will never know how close certain clubs have come to bankruptcy. And I believe that. I truly, truly believe that has happened. And whether or not it's been uh, rectified by Major League Baseball bailing teams out that were badly in need of money. But if, if there's only been one that that's occurred with, then that should be a wake-up call for Manfred and his minions to sit down with baseball ownership and baseball's union and say, boys, we got to figure out a way to make this thing work. Because right now, uh, this formula, if you can call it that, has failed miserably, and, and we've got to look toward a brighter day with some, some smarter minds involved. You know, Dad, I, I don't know what you say, um, you know, if you're Bob Castellini or if you're the owner of the Pirates or you're the owner of the Royals or, you know, whoever, right? These teams that when, you know, basically when the season starts, yeah, you're not going to compete with these big market teams. Uh, outside of an outlier here and there. There's always one yes. every so often. But the bottom line is, and the argument I make to all the guys that say out there, especially the analytic freaks, well, you know, look, this team did this and this team. I said, look, 
outside of the Kansas City Royals in the last two decades, find me a team from a mid-market, small market that have won the World Series. That was the Kansas City Royals a number of years ago when they caught lightning in a bottle, had all those young players together, played great, made a deal here, deal there near the end. They win the whole thing. But, you know, if you're the Bob Castellinis of the world, and I don't mean just talking specifically about him, but, but, but how, do you, how do you go to your fan base and say, hey, come on out to the ballpark, even though we know we have no chance? He can't say that. But, but, but how do you sell people and you're selling your product no different than Procter & Gamble or Coca-Cola or UDF or whatever? How do you sell it? I don't know how you sell it. I, I, I feel for those people down there that are trying to come up with some type of promotional concept uh, that will enable people to buy into it. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, let, let's be honest now. I mean, you know, we have died in the wool fans, and I know some of them uh, that are going to go down there and watch this team play, win or lose, and win or lose over a period of years. They're still going to go down there because they're huge Reds fans, and they're also huge baseball fans. But at the end of the day, the majority of people are front runners, and if you win, they'll knock the doors down, and if you don't win then they're going to come occasionally, but not nearly with the passion and fervor that they would normally if they going down on a given day and have great expectation that that team is going to win. I mean, you know, look at the Bengals. I, 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 I sat there and marveled at that stadium on Sunday and, and how the one thing that I'd never expected, because as I said, I've been away for so long, is the noise never stops. These people are so into it. Why are they into it? They're into it, one, because this team wins. Why does this team win? It wins because of Joe Burrow and a stable of receivers that are gifted beyond uh, anybody's expectation and an offensive line that's coming together and a defensive secondary that's playing better than it's played all year long. That's the reason why those people are there. Uh, they go down expecting them to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And they go down expecting them to beat the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. And down the road, the Buffalo Bills. Um, that's what winning is all about. And that's the biggest um, – I'll never forget Roger Rule, who was the, was the marketing director when I came with this club uh, in 1974. And I think Roger was the one that uh, people praised him for his promotions and everything. He said, let me tell you what the best promotion on earth is. And that's winning. And that's exactly right. So short of that, I don't know what you say to fans. When you look at some of the moves that have been made, uh, all big market teams outside of the Josh Bell. That, that Josh Bell thing, by the way, stunned me. I don't know if it stunned you because Cleveland is one of those teams, even though they find a way to win a lot of games. Uh, great manager, great farm system. They, 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 they bring up pitchers. Uh, in mass, it seems like, every two, three, four years and just replace the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. I was stunned by the Josh Bell thing. Two years, $33 million to go to Cleveland? I know. I know. Uh, it's it's mind-blowing. Well, he was with San Diego last year, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and Josh Bell, you know, he's a nice player. I mean, it, but nice is about the best I can give him. And, 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 and once again, though, that points up what you, we were talking about a short time ago 
about the salaries and 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 see this is a part where i disagree with the antichrist that would be scott Morris. um he talks about there's no middle class the hell it isn't because every time salaries go up for the big dogs those guys that would be categorized as middle of the road or or middle class players their salaries are going up also now they're not going up to the tune of uh, what the mega stars are getting, but every time those guys' contracts jump, so so do uh, the guys in the middle class. You're telling me Josh Bell's a whole lot better than a middle class player? I would tell you you're crazy. Well, I I, I just don't. I mean, I I I'm almost at a loss for words uh, in, in watching what's going on here because you know whether we've talked the last few days, Dad, about Philadelphia, huge market, Giants, huge market, Yankees. Outside of the Bell deal, there has been nothing of significance made by 90% of the teams. And I throw the Cubs in, in that group because they just signed Cody Bellinger, who I think, is, I think the guy's a stiff. He had one year and, and, and great year MVP, but outside of that, before it and after it, I, I think the guy's a stiff. But Turner leaves and goes to Philadelphia. Uh, you wonder about the Dodgers. Uh, I know they gave Clayton Kershaw $20 million a year, and they've still got a lot of good players, but I think we all agree that Turner was their best player. And now to have him walk out the door, you know, it makes me kind of scratch my head a little bit about what's going on with him. Well, I've got faith in the Dodgers. I, I um, you know, whether or not they are able to, to recover from losing Trey Turner, who I thought was one of the top three or four players in the National League. I mean, that Trey Turner can do everything. Um, and I don't think Trey Turner left L.A. out of a sense of not liking it there. I think he left there out of a sense of wanting to get back to the East Coast, uh, where he and his wife are from. He went to NC State, was a fine player there. Um, I, I think they will figure out some way to, if not completely recover from the loss of Trey Turner, they'll figure out a way to make it happen. Um, I think Dodgers and the Yankees um, uh I, I thought Boston. I think there's certain upper echelon teams, and I think if you say who are who they are, who are they? Well, the first two names come up are the Dodgers and the Yankees. I, I don't think there's any question about yeah. that. Uh, so I don't I don't worry about the Dodgers, and uh, I think they'll figure out a way to to recover from the loss of Trey Turner and and move on. You know, I I, I just I sit there, Dad, and I wonder, you know, is this like a housing market or a stock market bubble? Does this thing sooner or later pop? Because you, you tell me if you agree with this. Excuse me. I think the biggest single issue, and it's starting to get some pub. Manfred had to address it yesterday at the winter meetings. I think the biggest single, biggest single topic facing this sport is what might happen with these regional sports networks. There's talk that Bally's, uh, which you watch the Reds games, uh, they own, I think it is, Bally has the rights between baseball, the NBA, and the NHL, I think has 64 different teams it has the right. rights to. Uh, those yeah. are contractual obligations. Whatever the Reds deal is, just pick a number. Say it's $30 million a year, $20 million a year for the TV deal. Doesn't matter what it is. Point is, Television is the biggest single sponsor locally and nationally for every single Major League Baseball team. There is talk, there's a possibility that this company is going to run out of money at the end of 2023. 
And, right. and I have to believe that more than anything going on, the rule changes, the salaries, the big money, all this sort of stuff, the, the, the lack of fan interest, um, that has to be the scariest thing in the minds on Park Avenue. Agree 100%. I read a long, long piece about the financial situation dealing with Valley Sports on The Athletic last week. And and it's 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 not a pretty picture at all. I mean, this is an outfit that became that that became overextended financially in, in their haste to be recognized as the single biggest uh, rights holder there is in in, in professional sports. Um, and you're right. Uh, this will all of a sudden become priority number one if at some point this whole thing goes under because. Uh, I don't. I don't know what baseball would do. I obviously, uh, I'm sure Rob Manfred has discussed this with his people uh, ad nauseum, and and I would have to think that they know a hell of a lot more about this whole situation uh, than we do, and and how far along it is, and whether or not it's uh, uh, it's feasible that it could go under. And if that's the case, and I may sometimes I give them more credit for having more sense than they do. Um, they have to be better prepared and have some inkling about what they're going to do if one day Bally Sports walks into Rob Manfred's office and said, here's the key to the kingdom. We don't want it anymore. Um, it, it, it's scary. It, it truly is scary. And again, I go back to the fact that the, 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 the uh, formula for, for success, you don't see the NFL worrying about this, uh, you know, that guy's got the greatest job on earth, Roger oh, Goodell. Yeah. You know, you know it better than me because you worked in that league for so long. But they don't have problems like that. And that's all baseball's got. Uh, worried about whether or not the rights holder of all rights holders is one day going to say, we can't do it anymore. We don't have any money. We're out of money. Um, uh, it, that's the most frightening thing. And you're 100% right of all the other things that are being discussed and implemented. In the game of baseball today, rules changes and whatnot. Uh, what's going to happen if Valley Sports goes belly up? All right, I want to shift gears to a second. Uh, you've been around for almost 50 of these crosstown shootouts. It's this Saturday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We have both Wes Miller, who's a proud alumnus of your university, yes. the University of North Carolina. Uh, My man. And playing against, of course, I know another guy you like very much is Sean Miller. Xavier yep. Musketeers, this game this week will be, or this year will be played at UC, full house, everybody fired up. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Crosstown shootout, if any? Uh, to begin with, uh, you're right. I'm a fan of both coaches. Uh, I guess I'm a bit more prejudiced for Wes because Wes was at Carolina. His story is great. Uh, how he came there and he was a walk-on and, and uh, thought about transferring and, and his dad told him, you're not going anywhere. You want to be a coach down the road. You can't learn from anybody better than you can Roy Williams. So you're going to go back. Well, then he comes back. He wins the scholarship. And at the end of the day, he's starting for, I think, a national championship team or one that went to the final four. Uh, and a great guy. Uh, Wes Miller uh, and 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 then Sean Miller, uh, uh, he he just put his uh, his track record up. That's all you need to know about him. Um, I gotta give the nod to to Xavier. 
But having said that, if this is a day in which Wes's kids are making their shots, their outside shots, then they can beat uh, Xavier. Uh, and it, it, I think it'll be a good game unless they simply can't make their shots. Their, their whole game, I think, is predicated on opening up their offense. And the way you do that is make your shots from the outside. Um, this is a rivalry. Uh, you know, people talk about Duke and Carolina, and I think that and Michigan and Ohio State are the two greatest college rivalries there, there that exist today. But uh, you don't have another rivalry in the country in any city where the same the two teams are in the same town. Uh, people, what about Arizona? That's in the same state, Arizona, Arizona State. Um, I, I don't know that it's quite as uh, the 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 spirit is quite as high as it used to be when you had no. coaches that didn't like each other. Yeah, no way. Um, I think probably the two guys uh, coaching these teams like each other. And, and you know, when Hugs was there and, and Pete Gillen was there uh, and some of the other coaches that went head-to-head, uh, we, we both can remember when the fight created a situation where people were wondering if this game would ever be played again. Yeah. Thank God that's no longer a problem. But I think it's a great time of the year. I, you and I both uh, love college basketball. Uh, I, I think a game like this is wonderful for the city. And I think it's wonderful as long as people's tempers don't get the best of them. And all of a sudden, it becomes an ugly situation. I mean, highfalutin guy like you, uh, you're sitting up there in the skybox for the Bengalis v. Chiefs. I mean, I couldn't get a ticket. I tried like crazy to buy tickets and couldn't get them. Big shot like you's in a skybox. Uh, I assume you're going to the, the, the shootout, sitting in a skybox? Again? I am not. I am not. Really? No. No, I, you know, as much as I enjoy going down there on Sunday, you know, at my age, 80 years old, and, 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 and fighting crowds and trying to find where the hell you're going. And uh, I told Amanda, I said, did you enjoy it? She said, yeah. I said, well, have a great memory. Ain't happening again. <laughs> I don't Fellas, think so. Uh, the Ham and Eggers, you have anything for Marty Brenneman before we let him go? I mean, I do. Casey, you can go first if you want. No, go ahead. Uh, Marty, I, I just I got to ask you real quick. I know Armando Baycott didn't play, but North Carolina, what? How, how are we getting back on the right track here? I don't, you know what, Paulie? I don't know, man. I, yet I got a guy who's sort of jumping my ass because I'm critical of the Carolina <laughs> program. He went to Carolina. He lives in Liberty Township, and and he, he says, you know, uh, you're hurting our university, hurting my my university, my rear end. Uh, all of a sudden, this game has changed now, because these guys are paid athletes. So if I want to be critical of them, I'm going to be critical of them. I'm concerned about the direction right now that Hubert Davis has taken this team because it looks like he has no idea what to do. I mean, game after game, they've lost four games in a row. Game after game, they go out, they throw the ball up from the outside. Now, granted, Baycott did not play against Virginia Tech, and that's a major hit, but it still did not uh, change the way they approached the game. You got two guards that couldn't score in an empty gym. Uh, uh, Caleb Love, 13 for 37 two games ago. Uh, somebody said, Michael Jordan, what would Michael Jordan think about a Carolina guard that shot 37 times, 36 times, and made 13 of them? Um, I don't know. I don't know. They got Georgia Tech this weekend. They've had a week to get healthy with Baycott. Um, 
So I just hope every game that comes up, something happens to turn them around. But uh, a team is talented. A lot of people will tell you they don't have a lot of talent. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I I appreciate you asking me the question. I knew you were chomping at the bit because yes, all these was. Carolina people that know that I'm a Carolina fan, they love to stick the needle into me uh, <laughs> because they know that they, now this is a team that I do live and die with. I live and die with their football and basketball teams. Yeah. Yes. Well, you've been on the bandwagon on the football thing. I mean, let's be honest about it here. Until Mac Brown came back, you, you had checked out on their football team for a long time. Pretty and, much. And look, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Pretty much. Okay. Uh, Casey, yeah, I, I, so all I got to say, I just looked at the schedule. One month from now, my Notre Dame fighting leprechauns go down to North Carolina. I'm excited. They're the two really good teams going at it. You going to be watching it on television, Clown? Uh, <laughs> yes. Huh? Yes, I will. Yes, I will be. Are the you way go- those two teams I, are going, it fan. might not be on TV. You might have to find it somewhere streaming. Uh, yeah, probably. By the way, Casey, I'm a big fan of Mike Bray. Yeah. Big fan of Mike Bray. think yeah. he's a good coach. Yeah, he's a good guy. Does that make you happy? Yeah, that makes me happy. He doesn't even know who Mike Bray is. We spun a wheel (laughs) to find out what team he was going to – he couldn't tell you Mike Mike Bray in a lineup of one against that wall over there. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm sorry to hear about that, Casey. (laughs) You're open to learning, though, Casey. That's why we love you. That's it. That's That's it. That's right. That's right. All right, Dad, thanks. You got it all covered today. We appreciate the time. All right, boys. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good week. All righty. See you, Marty. Marty. I mean, does it get any better than that, really, at the end of the day? Yeah, that was great. You know, you get a guy, you know, a lot of times we talk about how when we bring people on, I'm not going to ask them certain. It's like today. Just let me tell you ahead of time, okay? I'm not getting into today with Sean Miller any of the the, 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 the parts about him leaving Arizona. That's, it, it's just not happening, okay? So if you're expecting it as part of the big interview, and we ask a lot of tough questions with some guys, we did with Hugs last week. But we're not going down that road today. So if that's what you're looking for, check out. But the one beauty of of Marty Brenneman is, among many, is that, you know, you ask a question, you better be ready for the answer. (laughs) Absolutely. You may not like it. He speaks the truth. Big fan of uh, both Rob Manfred and Scott Boris. (laughs) Huge. (laughs) You know, I mean, he and I go back and forth about Boris all the time. Um, you know, when I was a very young man, I'll never forget as long as I live. Um, I'm announcing the Cubs games, and the Cubs are in Pittsburgh. I think this was in 1991, 92, something like that. And I'm announcing the games, and on the field before the game, the Cubs general manager at the time, a guy named Larry Himes, uh, announced that uh, the Cubs had made their last offer to Maddox. He had turned it down. Uh, and uh, he was going to become a free agent at the end of the year. So I go on the air that night and rip Greg Maddox, who I, I thought the world of as a guy, not him personally, but just the whole thing and you know, leave it in the contract and blah, blah, blah. I get back to my hotel room after the game, and the phone rings in my room, and I answer it, and it's Scott Boris, who is Greg Maddox's agent. And we have a very long conversation about, because WGN was a superstation in those days, so you could watch Cub games anywhere, really, in the world. 
you know, going down into Latin America and all this kind of thing. Anyway, it was on all over the United States as a superstation, them and TBS in those days. It was like a national job. Um, and so I had said the same thing on television that I'd said on radio, switching back and forth with Harry Carey. And Scott and I had a long conversation about the whole thing. Uh, laid all the cards on a table. I appreciated his call. He didn't have to do that, uh, but he did. And ever since then, every time I've seen him, we have a very nice professional relationship. I do my podcast uh, over on, um, on the Believe Network, uh, where it's an interview every single week. He's been on the show twice. We've probably had about 50 episodes. He's been kind enough to come on. We're going to get him on this show once we get through all of this madness. And, uh, and I like him. Uh, I don't agree with everything he does. Uh, but I, I, I think for what he does for a living, if you're a client of his, I mean, you're all in. You're all in. Because at the end of the day, when you're one of these guys, you want to know that somebody is going to bat for you. And they're all in for you and your family and your future and your career. I mean, this operation Boris runs out there in California, you've never seen anything like it. It's about 35,000 square feet right there in either Huntington Beach or, uh, no, it's not Huntington Beach. It's right there. What's a famous place right there? in, in Santa Monica? No, 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 no. Further south in Orange oh, County. Uh, anyway, um, I mean, you ought to see this, this layout. I mean, workout stuff. He's got mental health people that work with the athletes. Physical stuff. Spiritual stuff. I mean, he's Newport got it. Beach. What's that? Newport Beach. Newport Beach. There we go. Uh, and that's highfalutin. Big time highfalutin. Uh, um, Tom, we have some major breaking news. What's actually. that? We almost interrupted the Marty Brenneman oh, interview. Oh, wow. What is it? Sonny Dykes extended through 2028. There's only one thing to say before we go to break. Two things to say before we go to break. Go Frogs! Sonny Dykes, leader of men, defeat Michigan, defeat Michigan. Back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. The big interviews, as in plural, coming up at 11 o'clock today. We have Wes Miller, head basketball coach at the University of Cincinnati. Sean Miller, head basketball coach at Xavier University. We've got a few up. minutes to kill here, so we have something for you. Ooh. Bring it up, Casey. Oh, boy. Here we go, Casey. Here we go, folks. The Updated. new stink list. All right. So, again, for those of you who are regulars, you know the drill. If you're not, this is basically moving left to right, top to bottom. The overall rankings, according to Casey McAllister, we call it his stink list, uh, where he has title towns, teams that can win a Super Bowl, borderline good, knocking on the door, borderline stink, stink, and then the Browns. All right, so we start with the... So, in other words, Casey, uh, you th your top five, power five, in order, right there as we see it, yep. Eagles, Buffalo, Bengalis, Leapfrog, Kansas City, and then the Dallas Football Cowboys, correct? Yep, and I really I really wanted to leapfrog the, the Bills with, with the Bengals. I really wanted to put... Eagles and Bengals up there. I think those two teams are the best, but I think the matchup between the Bills and the, the Bengals is different than the Bills and the Chiefs. And I think the Bills' defensive line, the defensive front is so much better 
and can get after the quarterback. And I think that's a real issue. I'm I, The Chiefs' defensive line is just not as good. Tell you what, I, I was surprised, though, listening last night. I was surprised listening to Dave Lapham a little bit. I think it was Monday night. Mm-hmm. And we'll get back to the list here in a second because i got a couple questions for you about this thing. Yep. Um, that it, by some metric, I'm not sure what it was, that Kansas City was like in the top seven or eight as far as quarterback pressures in the NFL this year. Right. And, and you know, look, Carlos Dunlop has had his moments. Uh, you know all about Jones. Bengals did a beautiful job. And credit to, to, to Zach Taylor and, and Callahan. Uh, for the way they handled Jones in that game. Clark has missed a lot of time. He came back, but a good pass rusher. So, you know, kudos to the Bengals there. I'm with you, though, on Buffalo. I, I just think their overall defense is a far more physical, tough, get-after-people. And that's a reflection of the coach. Sean McDermott was a defensive guy uh, his whole career before coming uh, to Buffalo as head coach. Yeah, and All I- right. So the next line... <laughs> I'm very surprised. Well, I'm not. That, that's not the word. Um, I'm not surprised the Niners with the Garoppolo thing. Uh, you know, I, I think with him, they're in that top tier. Maybe you disagree. Minnesota has the second best record in the NFL. Yeah, but I mean, they showed that when they play in prime time, they get obliterated, and that's why Dallas is a title town, and the Vikings are where they're at. Um, if every game was played at one o'clock, the Vikings would be number one. Um. Maybe. I mean, that, I don't here's, know, how, I don't know how you can argue that, Here, Casey. Here's the thing. Statistically, they are the worst. Like, they, they're just terrible. They're one of the worst top teams in the league. And it's, that is like, true. no contest. Their defense ranks 31st in yards given up. Their offense is only, like, 19th. Bringing stats to the table. And so, to, to me, I've, I've been down on the Vikings this whole time. They just keep winning games. And that's what matters in the end. But that's I, all I, that matters. That's all that matters. But to me, this team is a fraud. Okay. And when they when they go and play a primetime game for their playoff, it's not going to be pretty. I tell you, the team that that, that, that to me, I, I I keep expecting them to fall off the ledge, and then they come out with a big win, and that's Seattle. You know, the whole Geno Smith thing, it's an interesting team because they got a great coach. I mean, make no mistake about it. Uh, You you combine college and pro uh, and and the history of football. Pete Carroll is a great football coach. Uh, And so he's kind of held that thing together. When you think about the fact that they let Russell Wilson go, they give Geno Smith a chance. He's doing what he's doing. And just when you think, loss here, don't look so good there, they come up win another big game all right so you've got them then you have the borderline stick uh the last time i checked the baltimore ravens are in front of the cincinnati bengals as leaders of the afc it's just the last time i checked casey and that would have been today they almost lost last time i checked they almost lost again almost means nothing they won the game barely they're eight and four. They're better with a backup quarterback in. I'll put it like that. You have teams up there that are not even in first place. Is that accurate? No, the Bengals are not in first. Dallas is not in first. Um, Buffalo is no, is now the top seed in the AFC. Um, Minnesota's in first. Miami is technically nope. tied, right? Oh, you mean in their divisions? Yeah, I mean, yeah, hey, yeah, you I'm don't sorry. even have the Ravens. 
They're the only division lead. Well, Tampa Bay, but that, that doesn't really count. Uh, and Tennessee. Because the really Ravens are either. frauds. They're frauds. And the exact same thing that happened last year is going to happen again. They're going to be competitive in their games, but still lose four in a row with Tyler Huntley at quarterback, especially now when they have no receivers. And Tyler Huntley is no Lamar Jackson. Well, you heard Brian Billick say the other day, he's done all the film work for Ravens.com. And I would agree. He says, obviously, he can't run who can run, except for Justin Fields, like Lamar Jackson. But he thinks Huntley's better in the pocket. I don't disagree with that. I, I think that the team itself would be better last year with Tyler Huntley. They would have probably done a lot better if Tyler Huntley started every game last season. But this team has no receivers. Everyone's getting dinged up. They rely too much on their run game, and their defense is too unreliable. That is a recipe for Ow. them to – yeah. They're, they're out. They're out. frauds. Just wow. just the same with the Vikings. They're the same sort of issues there that I'm just like, these guys are frauds. Just give it to the end of the season, and you'll see. I'm surprised you didn't say anything about the Titans still being You know what? I'm not, because they're not playing like the team we saw playing Green Bay a couple weeks ago. Uh, and, and primarily, that is because the Bengals and then the Philadelphia Eagles, their last two opponents – have completely, thoroughly, utterly shut down Derrick Henry. Henry ran for 38 against the Bengals. It was less than that against Philadelphia um, if the Titans can't run it. And, and I've said before, I, 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 we argued. I thought Tannehill was better than you guys think he is, okay? Yeah. Um, but that is based strictly upon the ability of the Tennessee Titans to be able to run the ball. And right now, they can't run the ball. Nope. Nope. And here's, here's, a, uh, here's a thought that I had as of late. And people are not going to like this. But the Steelers and the Lions, those teams are on the up and up. And I think... Ooh, I, I, wow, I'm, you said something nice about Kenny Pickett? Well, he still, he still is developing. But the signs of life on their defense, their defense is just as good as the 49ers when they're fully healthy. And I don't think that's an I don't think you can have an argument there. When they have all four of their defensive linemen together, TJ Watt, Cameron Hayward, Ogan Joby, and Highsmith or yeah. yeah, Highsmith, those guys get after you. And they disrupt, and they just feed life into the defense. Well, Mike Tomlin uh, made the comment uh, before the game last week, which uh, the Steelers won again. Wasn't pretty, beat Atlanta. Uh, he made the comment that he is really excited about Kenny Pickett. Now, I mean, what else is a guy going to say? But, but he was pretty effusive in his praise, obviously developing a ways to go, but he likes – the grittiness and the toughness and the leadership of Pickett. Uh, they knew all these things when they brought him in, but you really never know until you got to get, get a guy in practice every day. And we've talked with this about Brian Billick every week when he joins us, is that, you know, um, you have to, to really be around a guy every single day. And a quarterback, you're expecting to be a leader. Uh, and in a short amount of time, Pickett 
has them thinking it may not be too long before the Steelers, who traditionally are not bad for long through the last 40, 50 years. Yeah. They find a way to get it together. And let's be clear, he's not winning a shootout with Joe Burrow. Not yet. I, I don't think not he ever yet. will. I don't think he ever will. I, I'm but not going to say never because I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to say never. Ne- I'm not going to say never. That's fair. I'm just – I. Joe Burrow is a special type of talent, and that's why, where I'm getting at. It's kind of like, do you think A.D. Dalton could be Tom Brady? And no, I don't, I don't think so. And that's, I feel like Kenny Pickett might turn out to be like an A.D. Dalton for them. Okay. And that's not bad. That's No, in fact, it's very good. I mean, with all yeah. the, the, the stuff about primetime and everything, I mean, Andy Dalton, his first five years in a league, led this team to the playoffs. And yeah. there are a lot of teams. In, in fact, I think he and Joe Flacco were the first two guys did it simultaneously uh, to do that. You know where Andy uh, Dalton went to college, don't you? TCU. Horn Frogs. You know what happened to TCU today, don't you, men? Sonny Dykes. Extended Sonny Dykes. I tell you what, it. it's going to be really interesting. And you see fans, you're going in the Big 12 next year. This Sonny Dykes saying... You know, there's no way anybody saw this coming. Not even Sonny Dyke saw this coming. They were picked to finish seventh in the Big 12 this year. But you think the difference in one year, what that could mean to that program. I mean, Gary Patterson had them for a long time up there. Couldn't beat the big, big, big boys. They did win a Rose Bowl. I think they beat Wisconsin one year when Dalton was there. But you think about in one year, they hire him as a head coach. They go undefeated during the regular season. They play for the Big 12 championship game. They're in the college football playoff. And now all of a sudden, he's given a contract, would you say, through 28? Yep. You imagine the recruiting that Sonny Dykes is going to be able to do because believe me when I tell you, boys and girls, and my dad would tell you the same thing because he said it to me when he went to visit our daughter down at TCU. You get a kid on campus at TCU, and now all of a sudden you throw in all those things that I just said in regards to football and basketball and all the money they're pouring into that thing, you get a kid on campus at TCU, you're going to have a hard time saying no if you're the kid to not playing there. It's that nice and rabid. All right, are we ready to go? Uh, we're going to go to a really quick break. Wes is in here. We're going to go to right, a really quick break. Real quick, quick break. break. And then Wes Miller coming up right after this timeout. Dusty Baker, World Series champion. A lot of talk about the Astros. You know, they've already added to that lineup and uh, apparently want to spend some more money. Uh, did Sore Boy wonder, just uh, fill me in here on the chat, that the uh, Mets, another big market team, signed Quintana, starting pitcher. Two years, $26 million. Did you see somebody made a comment about Justin Verlander going to the Mets? And somebody commented and goes, does he know he can sign with a team that doesn't have orange in his color palette? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the First time he's a national, full-time National Leaguer. There we go. Um, so interesting. All right. We mentioned today's Miller time. Kind enough to be joined by both uh, Wes Miller, head coach at the University of Cincinnati. Sean Miller coming up in about a half hour. Wes, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. I know the demands on your time right now have to just be nonstop in getting ready for this game. It's your second time through this game. What's this week like for you at UC? 
Well, it's an exciting week because you can feel the energy around town. You can feel the energy on campus uh, for the Crosstown shootout. Um, but it's it's business as usual, right? It's, it's obviously a, a big-time game, the kind of game that, you know, you grow up wanting to play in, that you grow up wanting to coach in, and, and certainly we're going to recognize that. But it's business as usual about getting in the gym every day, trying to get better and take steps. And, you know, starting tomorrow, we'll, we'll begin our preparation as a team. That's what we, we usually do, a two-day prep for every game. So it's business as usual, but the feeling around the game does, you know, create make a make it for a little bit of a different week. You know, you grew up in North Carolina. We'll get to this in a second. You played at the University of North Carolina after transferring from uh, James Madison. But, but when you got the job, coach, prior to last year, did, did you really know anything about this rivalry? I mean, it's on national TV every year and so forth. But you're busy coaching a team down in Greensboro. Uh, and, and did it? Did, did anything strike you as being different than any other sort of rivalry you've been a part of? I, of course, I was aware of it. Um, I'm a, I've been a lifelong basketball fan, um, just a, a lifelong college basketball fan, and it's one of the best rivalries in sports, right? So I was very aware of it. I'd watched it over the years, um, but participating in it last year it gave me a different level of appreciation for it. I mean, you have two schools that are in the same community. You know, as we all know here in Cincinnati, this is a sports town with passionate sports fans. So you have two high-level basketball programs in the same community, you know, a mile and some change apart. It, it's very, very unique. I mean, very, very unique. And the intensity of it, I mean, you mentioned my background. I was fortunate to play in the Duke-North Carolina game, I think eight times or something like that. And that's obviously a well-documented college basketball rivalry. This one feels more intense. And I think because it's two schools that are right here in the same community, I think that's where it's very different. I think you just collectively took the breath away from our audience when you said you think it might be more intense in Duke, North Carolina. For all of us, you know, on the outside looking in, you look at that thing, whether it's at the Dean Dome or, or at Cameron Indoor Stadium, and you're thinking, man, does it get any more intense than that? Yeah, you know, I, again, I was a player in one, and I've coached in the other one now. Um, so you got to put that in perspective a little bit. But, you know, like Duke and North Carolina gets such national attention. I mean, it, it, it really does. It, you, and you can sense that when you're a part of it. Everybody kind of stops all over the country, wherever you are, and watches that game. Um, I, I think this game should get that kind of attention. It doesn't necessarily get it nationally. But locally, it does feel more intense. And I'll say it again. I mean, Durham and Chapel Hill – are eight miles apart, but they are two different communities. They're 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 two different cities uh, or towns. And you know, Xavier and Cincinnati are right here in Cincinnati, yeah. and they're a mile apart. And there there's an intensity that you feel locally that you feel. You know, last year in Xavier's arena, I know it'll be that way in Fifth Third on Saturday. That I I just felt I'd never been a part of before, and I think that's really special. You know, Coach, I want to go back just for a minute or two, if you don't mind, before we let you get out of here. And, 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 and you know, you grew up in, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, you go to James Madison, and now you transfer to North Carolina. And you're going to go there to try and walk on as a player. Roy Williams was the head coach. There aren't a lot of walk-ons, Coach, I don't need to tell you, uh, that, that, that make a major, 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 major Division I college basketball team and program. Uh, did, did you think you had a legitimate shot to make the team there? 
Well, yeah, I, I was recruited as a walk. I was a recruited walk-on or recruited non-scholarship player. So I, I went there knowing that I'd be on the team. Okay. Um, I, I think the, the the bigger part to the story, um, not to get too much into my playing days, gosh, that feels like ancient history now. But uh, the bigger the bigger part to the story is that, you know, I, I wanted to play and, and I wanted to make sure there was an opportunity to play. And I believed that I could play. And, and you know, Roy Williams, who's been an incredible mentor to me, I'll never forget how honest he was during that recruiting process. You know, he was honest that no matter what, I'd be a part of the team and that would help me get into coaching later in my life, which really turned out to be true. Uh, but that he couldn't guarantee I'd ever played, but if I was good enough, I would. And, you know, fortunately, I got some breaks and ended up starting as a junior and earning a scholarship and, and having a, a, a respectable playing career. So that was... That was the part that was probably a little less predictable, but I was I was fortunate it worked out in that way. You know, Wes, um, the coaching style, uh, Roy Williams, of course, uh, mentored by the legendary late great Dean Smith. Uh, Roy is your mentor in many ways, not saying exclusively he is, but obviously a huge part, an influence on your life as both a player, a coach, and a man. Uh, you know, as human beings, Dean Smith and Roy Williams were two guys, you, you know, I mean, look, uh, nobody's perfect. Lord knows that. But they're guys you can really look up to. And their coaching styles compared to, just like life, right? You got one spectrum on the other compared to, say, Bobby Knight, compared to, say, Bob Huggins, compared to, say, somebody else. It is a very different coaching style. It, it, it would seem to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, that that style with kids today is perhaps uh, a, a little more uh, positive than maybe it may have been a number of years ago. You, you know what I'm getting at when I ask that question? You're saying Coach Smith and Coach Williams style maybe makes more well, sense today? Well, I'm just today. saying, you're, you, you know, you're not – and you don't do it either. I mean, those aren't the kind of guys that would just blister guys up one side and down the other. And we had Coach Huggins on last week where he still believes co kids really want to be coached and coached hard and you can get on their tail and all that kind of stuff. But just being around and my kids getting through high school here in the last year or two are still in high school, it seems like a lot of those kids don't want to be coached hard anymore. And I'm not suggesting Williams indeed didn't coach him hard. It's just a different style. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think I, I, I know, you know, kind of how to put it in perspective for you. I, I think I believe what Coach Huggins said, you know, there are still young people out there that want to be held to the highest standard. They want to be coached hard. They want somebody to demand that of them. I, I think kids now just want to know that you also care deeply about them. You know, they want to know that it's bigger than basketball. But I, I think, yeah, the generation is different in a lot of ways. Um, but I think if they feel that you have genuine care for them as, as young people, as human beings, as basketball players – they, they still want to be held to really, really high standards. Um, I think with, with Coach Smith and Coach Williams, you know, maybe on the sideline when the, when the cameras were on, it maybe didn't feel like you were they were coaching as hard. They did a lot of that in practice. <laughs> and I didn't play for Coach Smith. I was very fortunate to get to know him well. Uh, he was still in the office every day when I was playing at Carolina and got to know him very well. Um, but I, I learned a lot about him and, uh, obviously, my, my four years for Coach Williams and all the time I've spent with him, you know, all that all shuck stuff he would talk about in his <laughs> interviews. He, he, man, don't don't get it don't get it twisted. He <laughs> he could undress you in practice, and he was very demanding and very difficult to play for. And I've always been told, 
you know, Coach Smith in the same way. The, the one thing I took from Coach Williams um, was that I've tried to really apply to, to how demanding I can be as a coach is he would never he would never demean a player personally. You know, he, he could make you feel this big by how you were playing the things you were doing, uh, but he would never demean anybody personally. He might say that was a, a really stupid play, but he would never say you're really stupid. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that always resonated with me and something I've always tried to do in, in, in my young coaching careers. Be really demanding, demand really high standards, be tough on kids, love kids hard. But, but never attack somebody personally for something that's going on in the basketball court. Where are you, Coach, in the state of UC basketball? For those who follow the program, have been around this town forever. You know, you, you went through the Gail Catlett stuff. Then you have some down years, probation. Hugs comes in, gets the whole thing rolling. Uh, Mick does a really nice job there after Hugs. Uh, and, and then, you know, they had the turmoil just prior to your arrival. The state of, of UC basketball from where you sit as the head man right now is what? Well, I think obviously coming in here, uh, gosh, a year and a half ago now, late in the spring, yeah, the program wasn't in a great spot. I, I think everybody knows that. I certainly knew that when I, when I took the job. Um, and that said, I thought given the transfer portal and given some of the guys that stuck around that we didn't have to go through some major rebuilding cycle. We could work on being competitive right away. And I thought at times last year, we did that and set some foundational things in place. And I thought, you know, especially down the stretch at the end of the year, we didn't quite do our job there uh, as a group. Um, right now, listen, the, the program needs to be way up here. And, and I think everybody that's uh, – a Cincinnati fan or alumnus of this university or supporter of this program understands that the standard here is this high and we're not there every day yet, but I don't think, you know, we're asking people to wait years and years and years. I believe this team can take some major steps forward and be a great basketball team by the end of the year. Um, But make no mistake about it. We realize there's some work to do and we realize that the only way to do that is to come in every day and, and, and kind of embrace that process. Last question, and I'm not asking you to give it away any secrets here, but based on what you've seen from your team so far this season, uh, you guys are 6-3, and three, so too is Xavier. Uh, you both have played very, very uh, competitive schedules so far, by and large, this year. Uh, you come into this game and, and you, you look at a thing or two that could be the difference between winning and losing, it would be? Gosh, I don't know if I can say one or two things. I, I can tell you that this will be a big time college basketball game. They've, you know, they've had a couple signature wins already this year and they came off of, even though the coaching change happened with Sean, you know, they return a lot of guys that came off a great finish to last year and, and run through the NIT. So, you know, we, we, we understand we got our hands full, but we're also excited about that challenge. Um, I, to say one thing, I think with, with Sean's teams, you got to get back in transition. That's something that we haven't done well in a couple games this year that have cost us specifically looking at the Arizona game. Um, like we got to get back and get our defense set. That's something that the backboards, you know, I think are a huge factor in our games mm-hmm. and their games when you're just looking statistically right now. So those are a couple things, but there's probably 35 more as we're continuing to dive into this scout. Coach, I can't thank you enough for your time. I, I know there are a lot of other uh, demands on your time, especially for this week, uh, day in and day out. But thank you so much. Wish you all the best. 
Um, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun with a packed house down there uh, on the UC campus on Saturday. So best of luck. And again, thank you for your time. Thank you, Tom. Always appreciate you having me. All right, buddy. Thank you. Wes Miller, kind enough to join. It really, I, I just can't say how much I appreciate those guys today, both Wes and Sean. Uh, because as we said yesterday, uh, you know, look, my career's taken me in a lot of places. Um, and I've uh, been fortunate to meet a lot of people. This thing we're doing now, you're grateful for the startup and trying to get it going. Uh, there are a lot of other bigger names and bigger programs and bigger platforms these guys could be going on. Um, but we really appreciate uh, this week and, and really any time, uh, any of these guys taking the time to come on the program. Um, I almost fell out of my chair when he said a more intense rivalry than Carolina Duke. He's, he's, he's right in that uh, until you go down there and spend time down there. I was born in Chapel Hill. Uh, my mom and dad were students there, got married there. My sister and I were born there, whole deal. We used to go to basketball games here every year when we were growing up. Um, it, it really is. It's two different worlds, Chapel Hill and Durham, two different worlds. In fact, it's a different world between Durham and Duke University. Um, I mean, that's for another time and another place. But, he, I mean, but these schools, a couple miles apart from each other, I think there's a true hatred in the Xavier and Cincinnati rivalry that you don't get necessarily. I, you can say Louisville, Kentucky. You can say Duke, UNC, Wisconsin, Marquette. It, all these great rivalries around the sport. But the difference in Xavier and UC is you go to Kenwood Mall. You go downtown to eat dinner. You go over to you, you go to church with these people. Everybody, it's Xavier, it's UC. You're one or the other. And there is that born intense hatred that you have to run into every single day when you're around this city that this game means so much to. And the other thing, too, about this game, unlike North Carolina Duke, is it only gets played once a year. There, One time, yep. you go out there, you play. North Carolina Duke, they could split the season series one and one and then everybody says, well, okay, now North Carolina people would argue that they will always have the upper hand in that rivalry because of what happened in the Final Four and the way that they beat Coach K at Cameron Indoor last year to end the season in the last regular season game. Then they go and beat Coach K in the Final Four. I think North Carolina fans will always have an argument there to hold over Duke fans' heads. But as it relates to this city and this game, I know that Xavier has had more control of this rivalry in the last 20-ish years, but Cincinnati leads the all-time rivalry by, I think, 15 games, something in that range. So when you look at this city and you talk about the, the vitriol of this rivalry, I, I, I would believe that. I don't think, I think it's a different level here in Cincinnati that nobody else really understands outside of the city. And I think Cincinnati people are okay with that. How close are the two schools? Three miles. Three mi that explains it all. Yeah. Three miles. Yeah. 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 The Mark, Mark Titus wrote a great article uh, who did Club Trillion. Mark Titus wrote a great article back when he was with Grantland about, I don't know, probably eight years ago at this point about the rivalry. And as somebody that obviously myself is very familiar with it, has covered it for years, has been to many shootouts myself, and, and you know, I'm only 26 and, and have known the history forever. I mean, I, this is probably dating anybody, but I remember being in Northern Virginia watching the brawl back in the, the early 2010s, and I'm sitting there studying for my freshman freshman year of high school chemistry exam and, and and there goes Yancey Gates and Kenny Freeze and everybody else and I mean there's just such a hatred because these fan bases have to directly interact 365 days a year that like you said you don't get in 
Durham and Chapel Hill yep. or Lexington and Louisville as much. Plus, these kids, the kids on the team have to stick around all summer, uh, and they play against each other uh, in the summer. Uh, you know there's a lot of smack talking going on there. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. Wes Miller's got a big-time recruiting class coming in there next year, highlighted by Ravon Griffith. Yeah, he's good. I've called Ravon's, uh, several of Ravon's games in high school. I've watched him play for a few years. He's good. Jizzle uh, James, yep. Edron James, yep. his son is, is in part of that recruiting class. So, yeah, and, I mean, Xavier the same way. Trey Green, uh, they got four guys. Uh, Trey Green is, uh, you know, another four-star guy that everybody's real high on. So, I – there's a future to this program and, and to this rivalry that I think is is there. And I do think you made a good point about the coaches because at least from like Xavier's perspective, they always thought that Huggins or Mick Cronin was always so hateable. But Wes Miller's not a hateable yeah, guy. Yeah, but I mean, but, but you, say what you will about it. And, and I think that that rivalry at times has gotten way out of control. I, I've been to the game for 30 years. And, um, and, and I think oftentimes it's out of control. Um, out of control. Having said that, it was a hell of a lot more fun when Hugs was around because he didn't like Gillen. You heard him on a program last week. He loves Skip Prosser. Loves Skip and misses him every single day. They talked about getting together in the offseason after Skip went on to wake um, and, you know, having a beer together and, and all that kind of thing. That was not the deal when Gillen was there. And I mean to tell you, some of the games at Cincinnati Garden when Xavier was playing its home games there yeah. um, and, and hugs at uh, the shoe, big league days. Casey? So I, I also want to add a factor, and you guys might not agree with me on this, but Cincinnati fans, we're passionate. We're passionate about our, our teams, our football team, oh, the Reds, our basketball teams. <sighs> And when you put two basketball teams together that both the city is just passionate about, of course this is going to be one of the most heated rivalries of all college basketball. I mean, yeah, it's just the people. We, the people in Cincinnati, are passionate. And we like to go at it. We, we believe that our team is better, and we are going to go there and support our team every year. It's going to be a big league game. Saturday, 3P. Stinks it's at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, that's what happens when, 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 when big-time TV gets involved. There was a day for many, many years, all those years I was just talking about a minute ago, Hugs, Gillen, Hugs, Prosser, you know, where that was a local game. It was played during the middle of the week. Uh, Channel 19 had the rights to the UC games. Um, it wasn't like somebody else had the rights to the Xavier game. So no matter where the game was played, it was going to be on Channel 19. And we were doing the game. I was doing a play-by-play -play back in the day with uh, Derek Dickey and, and later Anthony Buford and that kind of thing. And um, it was a big-time deal. You had a, an hour and a half, two-hour pregame show. Um, it was fantastic. We're hoping to line up by the end of the week. You know, maybe another former UC star, Xavier star, who's played in this game, talk about the rivalry. And we're going to take a quick break. Sean Miller's coming up in about five minutes. Kind enough to join us. All kinds of folks on the chat today. Big numbers today. Everett. Tomas. Obviously, Sir Boy Wonder, you know who we never hear from anymore. Alex is here. Reed. Don always chiming in with good stuff. The player formerly known as Mouse Cop. 
Uh, Excalibur Iron Force. That's a great name. That's the best name. No doubt. AJ, um, the real spirit cat, Phil. uh, They're they're hundreds uh, right now uh, on the chat. And um, it's a big time game coming up Saturday. Sean Miller from the (laughs) X-Men coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by I mean, I, by United Dairy Farmers. I, I, I can't stop laughing every time I hear that Tracy Jones bit about the uh, Red Roof Inn and giving Casey uh, something to look forward to. <laughs> as Casey is getting married, as some of you know, in June. Um, and what he has to look forward to, as many of you out there watching right know. Hey, you know, he chimed in after I ripped off a few of the uh, folks that are uh, with us today. Um, U.S. veteran retired. Now that's a leader of men. He says, I got to check the show tomorrow. Busy today. God bless you and God bless America. <laughs> Love that guy. That's a real man. What a fan. That's what a real fan. man. All those who have served are serving and those who will serve. For the United States of America, we always salute each and every one of you. And we thank you. We thank Wes Miller for joining the program. And uh, We're getting what Sean. he's trying to get going on yep. at UC. And we're waiting on Sean Miller coming yep. up here in a matter of moments. He'll be checking in shortly. Um, and looking forward to catching up with him about the, uh, the shootout this week. Um, you know, you, you look at this game and this rivalry. Do, do we know who's coming into a broadcast that game? Do you know who's announcing that game on Saturday by chance? It's, an, it's on ESPN, too, so I don't know who's going to be calling that game. Okay. We could probably find out pretty quick. You're not announcing that game? I wish. <laughs> My favorite memory call was without a doubt the night, uh, without a doubt the night uh, they opened the Shoemaker Center. And uh, Hugs was there. They, they, they had four scholarship players. They brought Steve Sanders from the basketball team. I mean, the football team to play. And if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he hit a half-court shot at the buzzer to win the game against, I think, Minnesota. That's going way back, way back. Uh, salute returned, says U.S. veteran retired. So, Paul, yes, your scouting report of the Musketeers for this one, and I know we have you know a couple of more days here to really get into it, but before we have Sean Miller on, and you're always kind enough to offer any help that I might need, and Lord knows I need a lot of help, uh, but I'd gotten some things prepared for last night. You heard Wes Miller say that you know rebounding uh, will be a big part and getting back in transition against yeah. Sean Miller teams. That's what they do. They get up and down the floor. Yeah, uh, Xavier plays pretty quick. They are one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country this year, Xavier is. UC's been able to hit some shots from the outside, but they've also been cold at some points this year, too. Look at that game against Ohio State for UC. Uh, They've had some trouble scoring, but you look at what they did against Arizona, you look at what they did against Bryant, they've been able to put up a lot of points pretty quick. Uh, For Xavier, they're going to probably focus down around the basket. You have a pretty decent advantage uh, both in size and just in talent down around the basket where you look at guys like Jack Nunji and Zach Fremantle um, as opposed to Victor Locken who's had a good season but there's just not a lot of depth 
behind Victor Locke in there in the post. Uh, Oguama hasn't given you a ton. So for Xavier, I think they're going to try to rely on some of that down there. And then, two, Xavier's had some better depth uh, in the last game or two. You look at Desmond Claude, freshman point guard who's been able to handle the ball, look better under pressure. Sule Boom, the transfer from UTEP, has looked unbelievable in the first month of the season. So um, I think for Xavier, if they can just continue to shoot the ball well and work that ball down inside around the basket and really control the game in the front court, um, it, it could be a long day for Cincinnati, but you never know. Uh, I'm going to give Xavier a call here and see if okay. If um, one, one thing I want to uh, just point out, Don on the chat wrote, uh, I love Dusty Baker, but you know what always rubbed me the wrong way is when he let Brian Price go off on Trent, um, see Trent Rosecrans. Uh, Dusty was not there when Brian did that. Um, I was in the room when that happened. That was in Milwaukee. Brian Price was the manager. Uh, Dusty had been gone by then. So he had nothing to do with that. Uh, that was all on Brian. And Brian Price, good man. Uh, but he, I mean, he melted down uh, that day on C. Trent Rosecrans. I think all of us who were sitting there and had sat through many uh, of the, um, the managers' meetings before the game, like three hours before the game, where every manager in baseball uh, gets together with the uh, press that covers the team, and a, and a team like the Reds in a market like Cincinnati where you only have one paper, um, and, you know, you've got you know, C. Trent at the Athletic now and that kind of thing, but you only really have three guys along with, say, Jim Day, who does a pregame show, uh, that are in that room uh, with the manager of the Reds. Same thing with the Pirates or the same thing with the Royals, some of the smaller market teams, um, you know, Aaron Boone's having to sit down in New York with uh, 25 people sitting in that room. Uh, but Brian, that day, you know, he just had a bad day, and you know, I'm assuming he had a bad day, and, and went off the reservation. And um, obviously that whole thing went viral. Uh, but Dusty Baker had nothing to do with that. Oh, I think, oh, I see what you're saying. You're talking about Brandon Phillips going off BP. I thought you meant Brian Price. Well, you're right about that one. You're 100% right about that one, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. So, Don, forgive me. You were talking about Brandon Phillips going off on C. Trent Rosecrans, and I agree with you 1,000%. That should have never happened. Should have never happened. Any luck? No, he's, he, I, he just got back to me and said that they were trying to get him in, so... Hopefully it's hopefully he's getting in. He knows. We we just talked to him. So hopefully. Breaking college football news. Breaking college football news is what besides Sonny Dykes extended at TCU to twenty twenty eight through twenty twenty eight. Who do you think got the Louisville job? Oh. Yeah. Louisville this, job. This happened. Who do you think? Who do you gotta guess this one, Louisville job? Yeah. Was it somebody we talked about their name for the UC job? No. Coaches in the oh the guy left uh, Purdue. Purdue. Brom. Wow. Brom leaving Purdue. Now see, in my opinion, okay, Brom just took Purdue to the Big Ten championship game, and if they won it, they still weren't going to be in a college football playoff because they had lost three or four times going into that game. Uh, but man, with the college football playoff expanding. 
all the talk about conferences and the two super conferences and you know if you will with 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 ucla and sc coming into the big 10 we know all about the sec they still don't know when texas and oklahoma are coming into that conference they don't know yet when that's going to happen so next year when uc goes in the big 12 texas and oklahoma are still going to be in the big 12 for football in 2023 the fall of 23. That is going to happen. But if you're Brom, okay, look, Louisville, it might be in complete disarray, a complete mess right now from an athletic standpoint. The basketball team is beyond awful. Uh, the football program has been average at best, uh, and that's not all on Satterfield. Um, but it is a big money, big time university and the way it spends money on sports and so if you're Brom you're playing in the ACC and let's be honest about it you'll have a team every now and again good year here good year there there's Clemson and there's everybody else right and I'm not so sure Clemson doesn't end up leaving that conference sooner or later but if they stay in it and 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 kind of you know them staying in it would sort of hold the whole thing together you know, North Carolina's had some good, you know, good run here with Mac Brown. Wake Forest has had a couple of nice years, really nice years. NC State. But at Louisville, if you do it right, okay, they ought to – and by the way, Florida State's on the come. And that's a sleeping giant in the conference because there was a time where they were the top dog in the United States year in and year out under Bobby Bowden. But – Brom leaving Purdue does not surprise me in the least bit. Because if you can finish in the top two in the ACC, you've got a shot for the college football playoff. You got a shot. Purdue has no shot. Outside of total lightning in a bottle, Purdue has zero chance on a yearly basis of competing with Ohio State, of competing with Michigan, of competing with Penn State. And some of you out there, Purdue fans, might be throwing something at your computer screen right now, saying, well, we beat them two years ago. Okay, well, that's fine. But those three, what Fickle's going to do at Wisconsin, what Lincoln Riley's got going on at SC, what Chip Kelly is starting to build finally at UCLA, and that's not even in counting the, the, you know, the Michigan States, the Maryland's, Teams like this. So, you know, um, his shot at getting to a college football playoff is a lot better at Louisville than it is at Purdue. I, I think I think we may have something here. Okay, well, just let me know. So, we uh, – you want to go to a quick break and – You want to go to a break? Um, yeah, let's go to a quick break. All right, we'll go to a quick, quick break, break and hopefully we'll have Sean Miller on the other side back after this. All right, we're back on uh, Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Working through some technical stuff here with Xavier men's head basketball coach Sean Miller. If and when we get him on, uh, we will certainly get him on. We've got about uh, 15 minutes left in the program, so we will do our best to uh, work through this. Um, You know, we're talking about that uh, that whole Louisville basketball thing. I mean, good Lord. Have they won a game yet? 
No, and they're playing one and nine Mich- uh, Florida State this Saturday. So Florida State's one. They're and terrible. Unstoppable force under Leonard Hamilton. Block. They're terrible. Absolutely terrible. Both teams. The ACC is just. I mean, at the bottom there, and you look at Georgia Tech too. I mean, not good. Both. But didn't Georgia Tech beat Georgia last night? Didn't I see that? Here, wait. Hold on, just a second. I thought they did. We're uh, again. Paul is very hard at work. He was a guy that was. Um, uh, busting it to try and get uh, Sean Miller on here today. I'll look that up for you. The Georgia Tech beat Georgia. Um, I thought they did last night. Um, rumors in baseball. We were talking about some of the some of the moves made earlier. Wilson Contreras, no, good player, uh, might be going to the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, so you know. As Don points out, if he goes there, they've got one of the top catchers in the game, Yadier Molina, stepping away from the game. They got the MVP first baseman in Goldschmidt, and you've got uh, Arenado down there at third, who finished what second or third in the MVP voting behind his own teammate. Um, You know, we've talked before that the Cardinals, despite being in a similar size city, uh, are the quote-unquote outlier uh, in Major League Baseball, meaning, you know, they sell out every game virtually. Uh, Like the sun rising in the east, you can book on three million fans a year coming through the turnstiles at Bush Stadium. It's a guarantee every single year. And a lot of people say it's always been like that. That's not true. Not true. That started just before that whole poo hole sink. Because I was doing the Cubs games back in the early 90s. Cardinals had some good teams, but they were starting to fade. The Vince Coleman's, the Willie McGee's, all that kind of thing. Now, for you know Cubs games, obviously, a lot of Chicago people would come down or people across the border right there uh, into Illinois who were Cub fans. So you'd have huge crowds for those games. Same is true at Wrigley. A lot of people don't realize. Six years I was there, they were barely drawing over 2 million fans a game. I mean, a lot of days where you'd have, you know, like we see with the Reds, 8,000, 14,000, 17,000, the whole deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, they start fixing up the ballpark. You obviously, the advent of putting lights at Wrigley Field, that started on August the 8th of 1988. And now all of a sudden, you know, you open yourself up to a group of people uh, that can come to your games that were never able to come to your games before by playing in night games. Ricky Vaughn. No longer pitching for the Tribe. Thinks the only team Louisville can beat in college basketball this year is Portland Bible. I don't know. Portland Bible has the Lord on its side. I'm not so sure about that. You see Trace's comment about... Uh, yeah, I don't remember the game. I mean, you know, I get asked stuff like this all the time. You didn't call that. Uh, yeah, I did. I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, I could be wrong. 96, 97. You know, I, I'm quite positive I was doing that game. Uh, we were doing those games. Or maybe that's the year it all came to an end. I don't remember. Um, we did a lot of them. And then ESPN wound up getting the national rights... Um, 
getting the rights to that game. I did that game? Yes. I was thinking of the 99, 2000. You did that game back at the Shoe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't remember. I, I just remember the players. There were just so many great players in those games. Um, guys, it just came up big in big moments. I remember Terry Nelson, and that's a guy maybe we'll get on the show this week. I remember him coming out, and this just still to this day sticks in the craw of Xavier fans, where Nelson just came out before the game and said, we're going to kill these guys. We're going to beat them by 20. I thought Hugs was going to kill Terry Nelson for saying that. But Terry said it. You know, he was a brash guy that walked in the door from a junior college in California, uh, just like Corey Blunt did that year and Eric Martin that year. All those guys knew each other. Hugs talked about this on the program last week. You know what? Let's just tell Sean, forget it. Uh, we're down in the last nine minutes of the show, uh, and whatever technical difficulties we have, uh, he didn't okay. want to sit around and have to deal with all that. So just tell him thanks, Okay. but uh, no thanks. All right. Sorry to all of you. Thought we had this thing locked up. Thanks to Paul for trying to get it done. Thanks for Tom Iser for trying to get it done. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. So, uh, let's shift gears back to football for a minute. 2019 is the last time the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Cleveland Browns. Can you believe that's only three years ago? I mean, it feels like a thousand years ago if you're a Bengals fan. Is that? But, but, but I mean, to think that, you know, at that time, I think we all agree that Andy Dalton was starting to be on probably near the end of his Bengals career. Team right. went two and 14 that year. Zach Taylor had come on board. Um, things were, were, were going like this, right? Baker Mayfield, on the other hand, now the Browns did not have a good year that year. The next year they went to the playoffs. Um, but Baker was just getting started. And here we are three years later, two years removed from Baker Mayfield leading the Browns to the playoffs, actually winning a playoff game, did he not? They did win a playoff game, the Browns. Yes, they did. They yeah. beat the, they beat be, the be, Pittsburgh Steelers. Beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, and, and now... Mayfield just got on a plane yesterday after basically getting let go by the Carolina Panthers. He might be starting tomorrow night for the L.A. Rams. Well, you just think about all of the, the, you know, whatever they say about degree of separation, right? I mean, Baker, gone. After leading that franchise, it hadn't won a playoff game forever and a day. Long gone. And now he's going to the team that just beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl that can't get it out of their own way. They've lost six games in a row. Have the Browns lost six games? No, no, no. I'm saying the L.A. Rams. Oh, I'm sorry. The team he's going to now has lost six in a row. Yep. That's uh, (laughs) – It's hard to believe. I don't know why they would want the headache, in all honesty. Because I feel like – the L.A. Rams. Why would they want Baker Mayfield, who's just kind of like a drama? That, that's what he brings is a lot of drama and a lot of publicity, and your team is doing bad. You really want another quarterback in, in your locker room, or just and you just want a player in your locker room that's going to cause a lot of disruption. Explain to me why you think Baker Mayfield, the only thing that I can think of that I would consider to be drama for Baker Mayfield is when he 
stabbed that Oklahoma flag in the middle of Ohio Stadium after beating the Buckeyes while he was with the Sooners. What? I mean, now, I had an issue with him, and who, who am I? I'm not judging the guy. I just thought that, you know, based on what he had done at the time, for him to show up in all these commercials all the time on television, right? Right. Um, and Progressive Insurance is based out of Cleveland, Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so they were the ones that, 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 that started putting him all these national spots. But what, what drama does he cause? I think it's more just his personality that, that he brings in the locker room. Like the Browns didn't like it. He thought he was immature. They shipped him out. Uh, he doesn't even last a full season with his new team. They cut bait with him. I mean, the dude just – one, I don't think he's a very good quarterback, personally. I don't think so. But secondly, I think the personality of Baker Mayfield will rub people off the wrong way. I get the dude has this persona of being a like – he's got a chip on his shoulder – and he's not afraid to, let, to, to go to war with anyone. He's going to talk his talk, but he rarely ever backs it up. Well, and you know. That, that, to me, is where the drama starts because the Rams do have players that like to talk, like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Those two guys, they like to talk, and they back it up. Yes, they do. So, we, we have the great John Fanta, who's actually watching the program yeah. today. How about that? John, welcome. Good to have you. I mean, he knows all about what's going on up there. He says it's the progressive commercials, the quotes about the coaches, several moments where he's talked about me instead of the team. Uh, Sir Boy Wonder, among others, talk about uh, the, the uh, crotch grabbing, I guess, that he did, right? Yeah. Just an immature guy, some would say. I don't know. I, you know, I don't too, know. I, I mean, many. look. I'd rather have, okay, and, and Browns fans might lose their mind. If I've got to go pick up some guy off the scrap heap, and that's where he is right now, leaving Carolina to go to the L.A. Rams. If I've got to have a guy, my team is reeling, I've lost six in a row, we're the defending Super Bowl champs, we've had two quarterbacks go down, i got to find some guy. I'd rather have some guy who's got some passion and fire and a chip on his shoulder and some life about him than bringing in some stiff who is, and you can call Mayfield a stiff if you want, but rather than just some guy who's just vanilla, milk toast, I mean, maybe he brings a little fire to that locker room that needs some fire. I don't know. Maybe. I Maybe, but I just... I just don't see it, Tom. And I, to me, I feel like it's it's not a it's not something that like what, what what does he do? Does he give them more wins? I really don't think so. I don't know if he does or not. I know their team is in shambles. It all starts with the offensive line. Whitworth retires. They lose other guys to injuries. It just goes to show you, you know, in this league, you got to have a great offensive line and you better have a great quarterback. Stafford had a great year last year. I didn't think he was all that great in Detroit. And I did a 1,000 of his games. He's a gamer. I mean, ultimate gamer. That guy played hurt tough as the day is long and threw for a lot of yards and all the stat freaks and all that out there love a guy like Stafford. But when he went to that team last year, now he's got a head coach, he's got a system, he's got a great defense, he's got great skill players around him, he stayed healthy, he played well. And now he's hurt. 
And so the Rams are just trying to get through the season. We have Bucks lunch coming up today. Look who's back in the house. High and tight on the haircut. Tan, looking good. Reed Mouse, alongside, of course, Trace Fowler. Welcome back, big boy. It's not bad today now. No, I mean, it's not. It's in the 50s. Not bad. But it's not 75 and sunny with, with zero clouds in the sky. I'll tell you what. I'm not tougher than the sun. I got burnt a lot this yeah. week, Tom. But you I got to sunscreen. Well. I mean, that that's something that they sell at stores, Tom. They do? Yeah, sunscreen. You put it on. Carcinogenic. And what it does is it stops you Don't, from getting carcinogenic. burnt. Carcinogenic. I think you're right. Well, it's a, it's a catch-22. Right. The stuff doesn't look right. It doesn't smell right. It doesn't feel right. There's what? something not right about it. It's a catch-22. Dr. Lucky is screaming at the screen if he wasn't watching patients right now. Terms I'll tell you this. We have – we have. Uh, I'm going to have to start – when Reed comes back, if you've noticed, I'm going to have to start putting a, um, a salary cap, if you will, or a cap on how many baseball topics that we're allowed to talk about on this show. Because Reed Mouse, big baseball guy. Love it. I like baseball Love as much it. as anybody, but I'm going to tell you something right now. The whole winter meeting thing – the whole off-season thing, well, zero interest for me. And yes, it has something from, to do with You're from my, Cincinnati. That's yeah, why. But even, even like, and we'll get into this in the show. Tom, you hit the nail right on its head. At the end of the day, there's only a handful of teams that are going to win at the end of the year. There's no doubt. So it becomes then, like, where do you set your priorities? Or where do you set your expectations? And when do you find yourself being, like, excited or happy? And I don't know, like, in Cincinnati, have we gotten to the point now where – We've just maybe we've have to lower the standards of saying no longer are we worried about any kind of penance. It's just a matter of being in the hunt for the playoffs, and and that is the goal. Are we there yet? That's the shame of the sport, and that's why I think a lot of people who love the game are getting so discouraged about the game because. If there's ever an illustration, all you need to do is what you just said. Look at the last two days of the baseball winter meetings, and that's all you need to know. The only teams we're talking about spending money outside of Josh Bell getting two years from the Cleveland Guardians, outside of that one move, everybody else, Yankees, Giants, Phillies, Mets, Cubs, Texas, Texas. I mean, yeah. Think of all the teams I'll we haven't even mentioned their name, and we won't mention their name unless they're signing some guy to a minor league contract with an invite to spring training. Has the MLB had more, uh, more different franchises, a greater number of franchises win the World Series in the past ten years than the other two sports? Because I think they have. That argument. Well, number of franchises is irrelevant. It's more to do, it's not so much to do with team versus team. It's now become strictly market versus market. And that's the one issue the NFL has never had and will ever have. Green Bay has as much of a chance to win the Super Bowl right. as New York or L.A., I'm Kansas City, Pittsburgh, the Reds. Go on and on and on and on and on. Their chances of winning the World Series are this and this compared to the Yankees, the Astros, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Mets, 
And it's not saying all those other teams are great every year. I mean, the, the history of the Mets franchise, even being in New York, is, is, not a great, is, is not a great track record. But now when it comes down to money, and that's what it's all come down to, it's come down to money and no chance, none, N-U-N, none. The way the game is structured right now, and you look over the last 20 years to your point, the only quote-unquote outlier, and I know all the analytics freaks, they go crazy. Mm -hmm. I used to get texted this stuff all the time in the middle of the game on Chris Welsh's chat board. Well, look at the Rays. Look at the, look at the A's. Yeah, well, what about them? Haven't won. Haven't won the whole thing. No. But only they were outlier, there to be only fair. Only outliers the Kansas City Royals. That's it. The Ra- are are the, the White Sox, the- I know they're in Chicago, but are they a big money team? The White Sox, they won in 2005. They traditionally don't spend a lot of money, but it's, it's, it, again, it's cheap. Back when they won the whole thing, and you look at the players that were on that team, mm-hmm. a lot of those guys, when they beat the Astros in that World Series, a lot of those guys were homegrown guys, you know, and I mean really good players. But they, they were still spending some cash. But, but even then, how much has changed between then and now? And the answer to your question is still yeah. Chicago. Right. You're, right. Chicago. No, you're right. You're right. And it's sad. It's really, really sad. It's, is it impossible to fix? I mean, I think honestly, a salary cap really does but, fix a lot of but things. But the salary yes. cap fixes it. But I, my point is, is that even possible? Against the, as you've said time and time again, and I know you've, you've, you've hinted at it, the strongest union the world has ever seen. Yep. Is that ever going to be even feasible? At what point does the bubble have to burst so bad that things have to get so bad that the players' union and the owners can't sit in a meeting room and say, listen, for the betterment of us all, we have to fix something, and it's more or less around competitive nature of our game. Well, here's the thing that has to happen. Two things have to happen for them. One is they all have to be honest and truthful with each other, which Mm -hmm. they've never been. And that begins with the baseball owners laying out their books in front of the players. This is how much money we make. This is exactly our spreadsheet on everything, right? Correct. This is how much we make. This is how much we spend. Here's how much we're gross at the end of the year after everything we have to pay for and everything we're bringing in. Because the argument that the players always make, and they're a thousand percent correct on this. I'm not taking a side one way or the other. I don't care. Is... They'll say, well, you bought the franchise for $250 million and you sold it for a billion. That's a fact. But what happened year by year in between over the 25 years you owned the team? Did you make money? Did you lose money? Did you break even? And so until they open the books to the players, the players are never going to agree that the sport is in trouble because they think the owners are making a lot of money. And whether they are or they aren't, I don't know. I've never been privy to that to, to, to those kinds of uh, that information. Right. But that's the only way you even get the players to listen after right. you say the two words salary cap. Right. They'll never listen again. And the luxury tax was supposed to try to limit it big market teams a little bit. Yeah, it's supposed to try to stop specific markets quite frankly to spend as much money as they have been but the truth is is like that's what i was trying to get at the other day with with being wealthy at some point like wealth is wealth 
what's an extra couple, you know, twenty million dollars of some of these guys when they realize that their main focus is winning, and that's again not to. I try to keep the whole red Cincinnati thing optimistic, and I want to be optimistic about it. But in a nutshell, when you're in a small market, it makes it very difficult to want to try to compete to win because when you look at what you have to do to try to compete to win, it's very humbling. It makes you. It's it's almost like you think you're really wealthy. Let's just give me a give me a wealthy guy's name in Cincinnati now, like Linder. Is that is that a fair? Yeah, uh, okay. So the Linder family, you put them in a room in Cincinnati, and it's like, yeah, they're very wealthy. If they go sit in a room with Bezos and Elon Musk and and and, and, and you know Warren, all of a sudden it's like, I'm I I can't compete with these guys. They have incredibly amount more wealth. And that's essentially what we have in regards to these small market teams is, yeah, you might think that their ownership group is really wealthy. You might think that they might might be like very stingy. But the truth is, is they're not playing by the same rules as these major market teams. And no one can argue that. I'm not trying to give the Castellinis a pass on anything. Trust no, me. I, and I'm not I, trying to be like a, 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 a homer and this naive guy that walks down to the stadium and wants to go to the Reds games and wants to feel like you're a part of a franchise that cares. Certainly the comments hurt a lot of people last year. We all know that. That's not... That's not foregone. But I also do think, genuinely speaking, in order to be successful in life, in general, to be as successful as the Castellinis, there is a competitive spirit that runs there. There's a competitive spirit in every single person that's successful in life. But at some point, you start to prioritize how much you're willing to sacrifice to ultimately be competitive. And the, re- the reality is in Major League Baseball, for these small market teams, it's, it's like asking... It's like asking a middle-class family, quite frankly, to take these lavish vacations to try to make their other family members happen when they don't really truly have that money. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the other thing is, too, is, is I don't think that – and I have no idea. I could be completely wrong on this. I can't imagine that there is a hell of a lot of difference between the wealth of the DeWitt family and the wealth of the Castellini family. They're both Cincinnati families. Bill DeWitt, who owns the Cardinals, he still lives here in Cincinnati. But the difference is – in their case, and that's why we say the Cardinals are really truly the only outlier in, in, in all of baseball yeah. because they're the one franchise that's not in the top 25 market in the country that they're bringing in three and a half million fans every single year. So when Mr. DeWitt sits down and he looks at his balance sheet and he's going, okay, three and a half million people walked in the door. Okay, well, that means we can spend X, Right. Bob Castellini looks at the spreadsheet and says, we just drew 1.2 million. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not making excuses for Bob Castellini because uh, I will never make any excuses for Bob Castellini. It's not my job, but uh, it's, it's a big difference. And, um, and, and it's more than just the Castellinis and more than just a handful of teams. It's becoming nearly the majority of teams. And when that happens, your sport is in big, big trouble. Just my opinion. Boys, Crosstown Shootout. Yeah. Yeah, we were, we were hoping to hear from both. Both. Uh, what, what happened with Sean today, Paul? Yeah, I sounds like uh, sounds like we were having some technology issues. I was on the phone for about twenty minutes there, trying to figure it out, and by the time we we were getting there. It's, it was too late. So it's not looking good for the muskies. I mean, 
if if, oh, if Wes shows line. up for the, yeah. for the interview and Sean can't make it work, that's that's he, a bad he was, omen. He was bad. he was he was there. We we just couldn't get him connected. So okay, we move on. Life goes on. That's right. That's right. Technology sometimes is not the most uh, enjoyable thing no, to deal not. with. No, it's not. And we've <laughs> we've been. We've been there at this organization. That's All right, boy. Paulie, thank you for working on that. I tried. Casey, Sorry, thank Sean. you. Brandon, thank you for lining up Wes Miller. Thank you very, very much. We thank Coach Miller, Wes Miller, and uh, Sean for trying. So, gentlemen, That's right.